Welcome to Jersey Guy Sports, your sports talk home for the Yankees, the Giants, the Rangers, and the Rutgers Scarlet Knights, and I'm your host, Don. I want to thank you for listening today. We've got a pretty good podcast for you today. I'm going to be talking about the New York Rangers standing tall and nodding the series with the Devils at three, and also the New York Giants draft pick analysis. Let's go ahead and get started. I'd like to welcome any new listeners. It's great to have you on board. Let's go ahead and start with the Rangers. And the Rangers on Saturday night, they had their backs against the wall, down three games to two at home against a very, very tough New Jersey Devils team. And the Rangers responded big time, getting a really strong team effort to beat a very tough New Jersey team 5-2 to two at MSG. And they nodded the series, which is a best of seven, three games to three. Um, there was a lot of good games tonight by the Rangers. I'm recording this on Saturday night. None bigger than Igor Shosturkin, who was just brilliant in goal. He had a really, really good game. It, Igor's been very good all series long, and he was absolutely tremendous, tremendous in game six. He was the best player on the ice, especially after the Devils took a one nothing lead, a lead that they held for much of the first period. Igor looked very sharp from the start, made a series of strong saves, and he allowed the Rangers to really get back into the game and eventually pull away. Igor and the Rangers, by the way, have now given up three goals or less in 21 straight games, which is just pretty incredible stuff for him. Man, playing that kind of defense and getting that kind of goaltending where you're not giving up more than three goals in any game, it really gives you an opportunity to win every night. And the fact that the Rangers had lost three consecutive games in this series, even though they hadn't given up that many goals, really goes to tell you just how poorly their offense has, has played. None of this has been on Igor. Igor has been really strong at the end of this year. He's been excellent in the playoffs, and he was extremely, extremely good Saturday night in Game 6 in a critical elimination game for the Rangers. Now, also, critically, the Rangers' power play struck. Finally. Finally, right? Jesus Christ, with this friggin' power play. They finally scored, you know, to tie the game at 1 late in the first period. That was after the Devils had been up one nothing. Now, the power play for the Rangers while it was really good in the regular season, although it was streaky, um, and it started this particular series very well, the power play. It had been 0 for its last 14, and the Rangers power play was desperately looking for any kind of goal, and they got one at the very end of the first period, which was a huge, huge goal. Again, in this elimination game, any little goal, tip, deflection, anything to change momentum really is critical. And part of the issue, by the way, with this power play, which I do want to spend a second on here, is friggin' Gallant ridiculously moving Mika Zibanejad off of his you know left wing power play position? And if any of you are Ranger fans, you know exactly what I'm going to say, right? You watch the Ranger power play all year, last couple years. What is the biggest threat on the Rangers power play? You all know what it is. Now, obviously, there's lots of other players. There's Panarin. There's Fox. There's the, the Rangers have good talent. But you know the most dangerous part of the Rangers power play? It's one of two things. It's Either Kreider tipping something in in front, or it's Mika Zibanejad on that left wing taking a one-timer and just blasting a 90-mile-an-hour slap shot past the goalie, right? You've seen it how many million times. And if he doesn't, it's a deflection by Kreider or there's a rebound. It is a critical, critical part of the Rangers' power play, and it is effective and it's important. And it had been missing because Gallant decided to change up the power play when we got these new trade deadline acquisitions and move everyone around. They had Mika in the, in the bumper position, you know, in front, and they had 
either Panarin on the left side or others, and it really was not the same kind of power play. Even though it was effective in the first two games, it was mostly Kreider tipping in some stuff off of some nice Fox shots from the point. It's Mika shooting a slap shot from that left-wing position that strikes fear into other teams. And if you don't know that, you're probably not watching the Rangers. So I don't think Gallant was watching the Rangers because he decided to not use Mika in that position over the last couple of games, and it really, really showed. And he put him back into that spot in this game, and immediately it had an effect. And again, even if he's not scoring from that position, you're drawing defenders over there, right? Because once the puck is passed over there, they have to rush one or two defenders and that opens other things. So it's critical that he sticks in that spot, and hopefully going forward, that's what it's going to be. Now, that power play goal at the end of the first period, it changed the whole momentum of the game, and hopefully the series. And the Rangers were kind of off and running after that power play goal. It was just a transformation. At that point, the Rangers had been shut out again throughout just about the whole first period. They were shut out the entire game five. They were shut out the end of game four. It had been what seemed like forever since the Rangers scored a goddamn goal. So that was critical. Now, Mika did, on his own, score later on. Uh, That first goal was a deflection from Kreider. Uh, Mika also scored later, as did Vladimir Tarasenko, who was a great pickup for the Rangers, by the way. And if you haven't heard this podcast before, I'm a big, big fan of Vladimir Tarasenko, and I love that he's on the Rangers now. That was a great deadline, you know, pickup. Unlike Kane, who has been mostly friggin' useless for the Rangers since they dealt for him. Now, Kane had several giveaways again on Saturday night. Poor plays in game six. Ah, he just drives me friggin' nuts sometimes. Uh, And the Rangers really need Kane to pick it the frig up already. I'm so tired of hearing how, you know, Kane might be the greatest American-born hockey player ever. I don't know. Maybe he was on Chicago. Who the hell knows? But all I do know is he has sucked balls for the Rangers. That's what I know, right? He's come over to the Rangers, and he sucked balls. So whatever he did in Chicago, whoop-de-doo, good for him. Uh, This was mostly okay, by the way, you know, for the Rangers in the regular season. If Kane was giving the puck away, not doing anything, holding his crotch, whatever the hell he was doing, I didn't really care. But this is the friggin' playoffs, and he needs to start shining right now and proving he isn't over the hill yet, and he hasn't done that yet. He's had one decent game in the playoffs, but Jesus Christ, another suck game in this game six where he had giveaways and just, I don't know, was not very good. Now, Gallant in this game six shuffled his forward lines again. And if you know Gallant during the regular season, he shuffles his lines like a deck of cards and it's just, it drives you friggin' nuts. It's like, I don't know how any player is supposed to sort of settle into, uh, you know, a thing. It's like the offensive line in football, right? You play together for long enough. You kind of know where each other are. You know which guy to pick when he blitzes. You know which way you're going to go. It's like that for forward lines in hockey. Um, If you're not familiar with hockey, you know, the longer lines are together, the more they know where each other's going to be. So if you dump the puck in versus making a a move at the blue line and trying to pass to you, those are kind of feel-type plays, things like that where – you know what your center or your left wing or right wing is going to do even before they do it. Whether they're going to go hard and try to dig for a puck in the quarter or cut to the middle and look for a pass. That kind of knowledge and sort of inherent, you know, ability to know where other other people are going to be, that comes with time playing together. And Gallant constantly shuffling his friggin' lines um, really doesn't, doesn't help with that. Now, certainly sometimes it's needed, right? When your team sucks balls offensively like the Rangers have in the last couple of games. You can't just sit still all the time. I realize that. But um, 
he is over the top most of the times with his line shuffling. But tonight it works. I'll tell you what. Saturday night in game six, the Rangers, especially after that first goal, looked charged up. And again, momentum in hockey is such a, a funny thing. Maybe I'll take 30 seconds to talk about that. It's it's unlike other sports in so much in that one little deflection, one little bounce you know, that gets behind a goalie can unbelievably change momentum of the whole game. It's amazing how stuff works like that. And so, you know, I'm wondering if the Rangers didn't get that power play goal at the end and they went into the end of the first period again, shut out instead of it being 1-1. Now, I wonder if they would have tightened up. I wonder how the rest of the game would have won, would have gone. Uh, and not if, you know, the Rangers ended up pulling away and, and really, really played well. So when I talk about shuffling lines, you say, yeah, great. It worked out. And, you know, kudos to Galan because he, he shuffled the lines. But you just wonder how much of that is from momentum and how much of that is from actual line shuffling. The only good thing he did shuffling was putting Zibanejad back where he belonged on the power play. The rest of it we'll see. And we're going to see soon enough in game seven. Um, still, still, still. Uh, New Jersey had long stretches in the Rangers zone at times. And our fourth line for the Rangers, uh, they continue to, to struggle. I, I really like the Rangers fourth line. But it has not had a great series against New Jersey. And, you know, you need to give the Devils kudos here, guys. The Devils are a really, really, really good team that we struggled with in the regular season. And when this series started, if you go listen to, you know, a couple podcasts back, I was not confident at all that the Rangers would come out of this. And I'm still not 100% confident. Um, I'm glad it's going to a game seven. I was surprised when they were up 2 nothing, But going into the series, I thought we were going to, be eliminated by the Devils for sure because the Rangers just seem to not play well against the Devils. Devils have the Rangers number this year. They're faster. We seem to have all kinds of trouble getting up ice. And in the games that we've lost in this series, that's what you've seen. But luckily, we've been able to put it together enough to get it to a game seven. So if the Rangers should lose on Monday night and, you know, (laughs) don't know what's going to happen to Galan if that happens. We'll have another podcast about that. But if they get eliminated in the first round, it's not something that I think is totally unexpected against this particular team. Let's face it. The Rangers finished fourth in the friggin' league in points. Fourth, right? 16 teams make the playoffs, 30, 32, whatever it is, you know, in the league. The Rangers are fourth overall. And who do they play in the very first round? The team with the third most points in the whole NHL. So you figure, you know, you're that good. You play a lesser team. No, the Rangers are that good and they got to play a team that's you know, better than them in the regular season, even. And it's a, it's an oddity in the NHL with the way the playoffs are structured. So it's not a surprise that it's going to game seven at all, no matter how much quote unquote talent the Rangers have and what kind of particular advantages they may or may not possess over the Devils. Going into this series, this was a tough, tough, tough road to go down for the Rangers. I'm really happy that, you know, they got through six even and we'll, we'll see where they go. But the Rangers, have to play better. This this game is going to be written about as if, you know, the Rangers really did great. And there were some long, long stretches in the Rangers zone at times. In addition to the fourth line having its troubles, um, they did score, right? So the fourth line had a great two-on-one rebound goal by Goodrow that drove Schmidt from, from the net for the Devils. And it led to him getting replaced when the Rangers were then at that point up five to one, which was awesome to see because they, they Schmidt had the, the Rangers number. They, they didn't really particularly test him very much, but the Rangers put up a whole 
giant two measly goals in the last three friggin' games against the Devils and Schmidt. Um, and they put up five against Schmidt in two and a half periods on Saturday night. So two goals in three games, five goals in two and a half periods on Saturday night. So that really, really is a bit of a redeeming, you know, night for the Rangers and for Mika and Kreider, who had kind of gone quiet recently. Now, Truba and Schneider had a few big hits. Just looking around at some of the other things that happened. Schneider also, by the way, added a goal. Pretty good for a 21-year-old kid, right? Schneider is really, really uh, something I very much like for the Rangers. He's 21 years old. He plays an excellent defensive game. He's tough and doesn't make many mistakes at all and really bodes well for the Rangers' future on defense. Now, the Gordon I want to talk about for a minute because Madison Square Garden was rocking again. Now, I say this because... It was not the other night. It was morbidly quiet, the last home game the Rangers had, which was game four. And it was good to see, you know, that a very loud and raucous Madison Square Garden. And if the Rangers end up moving on from the series, I'll be paying very close attention to how this crowd is for any home games where the Rangers are not winning. Whether when, they're, when the Rangers are losing at home or the game is tied, I want to see how the crowd reacts because it's very easy to be loud when your team is winning. And they were raucous tonight. There's all kinds of chants and songs. and So uh, it was, you know, obviously loud. And that's easy. And it was great to see, right? Now, in game four, it was a close game. The Rangers were tied. The Rangers were losing. And it was the, the crowd was sitting on its hands. It was such a ridiculous home crowd in game four. I was actually really pissed off. And I was annoyed. You know, when your team is losing or when they're, you know, close in a, in a, a game that you're losing – by one goal or something, or the game is tied, you need your fans to support you. And I have not seen that over the last, say, year for the MSG crowd and certainly in the playoffs this year. And I want to see that if it comes to that again, if the Rangers get another home game, which they will only get if they get past the Devils. So I'm going to be looking at that. Now, game seven is Monday night at New Jersey for all the marbles, baby. And the Rangers are going to need to tighten up their play in the defensive zone if they hope to prevail in that Game 7. Now, Igor, as I stated, was friggin' awesome in Game 6. But we cannot count on, you know, putting five goals behind Schmidt Sunday. We cannot count on Igor making save after save after save after save every goddamn game on these grade-A chances. I mean, they, these were not just, you know, great saves on average chances. I mean, these are, you're talking about 10 feet you know, away from Igor in the slot, you know, really wide open, tough chances. Igor made some really big saves. And we finally got a little bit of puck luck, I thought, as well, where we didn't get any puck luck in the last game. So Igor was spectacular, but we have to tighten up defensively. Now, on the plus side of that, the Rangers blocked over 20 shots in game six, which is spectacular. And it's exactly what you need for success in playoff hockey. So um, we need to keep that up and we need to clamp down on defense in game seven on Monday night. Also, another thing, one of the last things I want to note here is Trocek. He's been kind of missing completely in my mind. They talk about him winning some faceoffs, I guess. I continue to see us lose important faceoffs. And I've talked about this before. If you haven't heard my podcast before, the Rangers have just sucked balls for years and years and years on faceoffs. And the statistics say they're a little better this year. And the statistics say Trocek is, I don't know, 30th in the league, whatever the frig they say. None of that matters. What matters is important faceoffs, right? In your offensive zone or in your defensive zone. I could give a shit about faceoffs between, you know, the, the the blue lines. It's the ones in your offensive or defensive zones that are critical 
Those are the ones you need to win. And it seems like the Rangers lose every friggin' critical face-off that ever exists, especially in the playoffs. And it's continued. And and we have not been better in the playoffs at that. And it that is just something we have to figure out how we can overcome because it is a tremendous benefit to win, you know, face-offs in the offensive or defensive zone. You know, if you're in the offensive zone, especially if you're on a power play, but even not, you you could you win that faceoff. There's a really good chance you get shot on goal, and who knows what can happen. You know, you lose it, and you know it's pretty easy clear sometimes for the team that's in their own defensive zone. And similar on the other end for the Rangers, and it's something that the Rangers have to you know really really clamp down on as a team. It's not just the person taking the faceoff; it's what happens when there's a scrum and you know the, the puck is kicked around. In any case, look out for that in Game 7. Offensive and defensive zone face-offs will be critical. Uh, in addition to Trocek not particularly doing great on that, he's kind of been missing offensively. He's the team's number two center, right? Mika's the number one center and one of the best players in all of hockey. Number two center on team is actually Trocek, and he has been just conspicuously missing offensively this whole damn series. Um, I need to see more production from Trocek going forward, and especially early on Monday night. I want to see him in the offensive zone, forechecking, putting pressure, getting shots on goal. Now, all eyes are going to be in Newark Monday night, baby, for the Rangers-Devils Game 7. Rangers never seem to make it easy, right, guys? I can't wait for Monday night for, Monday night for sure, guys. So let's go Rangers. All right, so let's move on. I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, the Giants and the NFL Draft, and then we're going to get out of here. So uh, the NFL Draft finished up on Saturday, right? We had the first round on Thursday night, rounds two and three on Friday night, and then four through seven on Saturday. And I want to just take a few minutes to uh, review the Giant Draft picks and just give some early assessments, even though, again, these early assessments, you can't really tell until they've actually played on the team. So... Let's see what we have. Uh, in the first round, the Giants drafted cornerback Deontay Banks from Maryland, which, funnily enough, was the number 24th overall pick. The Giants had number 25, and they oddly traded one spot up, which is such a weird thing to do, especially in the first round, right? He moved up one spot to get Banks for our fifth and seventh round draft selections, and it's hard to know why. Perhaps, you know, all the cornerbacks coming off the board um, early, right before the Giants were going to pick, and this was the last good one we wanted. But Banks is a pretty impressive pick. Um, most of the folks and most of the uh, reviewers and scouts I've been reading talk about Deontay Banks as a strong man-to-man coverage guy. He thrives in press situations. I kind of remember him a little bit from when Rutgers has played Maryland over the last couple of years. Um, he's a very good cornerback. Very, very, very fast, apparently, which helps. And the Giants certainly need a quarterback. <laughs> um, a lot of draft analysts had Banks going even higher. So getting him at the number 24 spot certainly seems like a good get here. So I'm going to say that's a good pick. And certainly the Giants secondary is in massive need of, of upgrades, as is most of the defense. Um, so that's the first round pick. Second round, the Giants took a center. John Michael Schmitz from Minnesota. It was number 57 overall. And Schmitz seems like kind of a consensus win for the Rangers. Um, This is a center that's played in Minnesota. And if you watch Minnesota play, they had a tremendous run game in the last year. Oh, my God. Just seeing Rutgers play them, getting mopped all over the field. We could not stop their offensive line, their run game. He's a center that plays downhill. He finishes blocks. Um, The Giants need 
offensive line help badly. Even though it was somewhat improved last year, the Giants still need massive help with the offensive line. And um, they certainly need a center. That's one of the positions. They're probably set at tackles. We'll see how they are at guard. They certainly need a center. Um, And this should help certainly down the line, if not right away in 2023. Uh, This seems like a very good pick for Shane. Round three, the Giants took a wide receiver out of Tennessee. His name is Jalen Hyatt. Uh, Matter of fact, they traded up from the number 89 pick in the third round to the number 73 pick in the third round to get Jalen Hyatt. They traded their fourth round pick for him. So that was interesting. Um, Hyatt is apparently the 2022 college football, the Bolitnikoff award winner. So he's a very good wide receiver, obviously. He's very fast, although he's not particularly big. Um, And he's hopefully going to be a very good deep Threat, a deep target for Daniel Jones and this offense, which certainly is in need of a deep threat because, let's face it, the Giants wide receiver has scared exactly no one, no one in the last couple of years. Um, so if this guy is actually good, he's a Blitnikoff winner and he's fast and he's a good deep threat, you know, that certainly can help. Um, I kind of like this pick a lot, although I, I do wish we were able to get uh, a bigger wide receiver, though none were available, you know, at this particular spot. But, you know, I'm pretty happy uh, that they did get a wide receiver and one that seems to be getting continued, continued, you know, good reviews here so far. Again, this is all early stuff, right? Because, again, until you see these people play, you, you don't really know how good or bad these picks are. But I like this one. Now, the Giants didn't have a fourth-round pick because they traded that to move up and get Jalen Hyatt, the wide receiver that I just talked about in the third round. In round five, they actually took a running back, which is really interesting. Uh, his name is Eric Gray out of Oklahoma. Um, and I've gone on record. I want to talk about this. But in case you haven't listened to my past podcast, I've gone on record saying Saquon Barkley is way overrated. And now I'll add way friggin' overpaid for the Giants. Um Getting a good running back like Gray, who apparently can cast the ball also, is something that, you know, teams can do in the fifth round, and the Giants did. And as I've said repeatedly on this podcast, in 2023, running backs are a dime a dozen. They're a friggin' dime a dozen. They're readily available in the draft and in free agency, and overall running backs are less critical to winning than at any time in NFL history. It doesn't really matter that much. If you have a good running back or a great running back, it matters so little, especially if you have a good offensive line, right? Now, obviously, I think a good running game is needed. In spite of how passing-oriented all the NFL offenses are nowadays, I, I think having a good running game can get you very, very far. But a team that has a good offensive line and a decent running back will be just about as good a running back as as will be just about as good at the running game, you know, as the same team that has a good offensive line and a great running back, right? So if your line is a certain amount of, you know, good, your running back makes less and less difference every year. And Barkley, while he's really good, he's not at all a 10 friggin' million dollar a year guy pounding about his contract. I'm very glad they got this pick. Maybe they can use it against Saquon and, you know, it, ditch him after this year or something. I don't think we should be paying 10, 12, 14 million dollars for a goddamn running back. I think it's ridiculous. I think they're a dime a dozen. I think if you have a good offensive line, there's a million decent running backs out there that can do a lot of damage. Let's face it, man. Uh, what happened to Kansas City? 
They won the goddamn Super Bowl with, you know, the seventh round pick as a starting running back out of Rutgers, right? I mean, you got to be kidding me, right? I mean, it you don't, you can get a running back anywhere at any time. I don't want to hear it about Barkley. And I'm kind of glad they drafted a running back, even though the, the Giants did have a lot of other needs. They just probably saw this guy was pretty valuable and, you know, maybe if Barkley gets hurt, you know, they needed someone that they could, you know, fit within the, you know, their salary cap and, and step right in and catch some passes too, as well as run the ball. Round six, they took another, uh, they took a cornerback. His name is Trey Hawkins. He's from Old Dominion. Um, you know, once you get this late in the draft, everything's a crap. So you don't know. Apparently Hawkins has good size and good speed, but he probably doesn't have the best instincts yet. And we're going to see if there's any kind of room for him in what is probably a wide open Giants secondary in 2023. Um, for me, it's a bit weird. The Giants didn't grab, <coughs> excuse me, uh, more or really any, I should say, linebackers in the draft. It's very strange the Giants didn't grab a linebacker since they feels like they need about 10 linebackers, the Giants. That's how, how bad their linebacking crew is, even though they picked up one in the free agency. I, I'm still a little shocked, so who knows? Trey Hawkins, cornerback, Old Dominion, was picked in round six. We'll see. Round seven, the Giants had two picks. They took a defensive tackle, Jordan Riley, out of Oregon. It's really hard to know. Hopefully he can stop the run, but I really would want them to take a shot this laying around on like a, like an edge rusher or, or someone at any position on defensive line that can actually get some sacks or rush the passer. I don't think Jordan Riley is really known for that. And the Giants need so much help rushing the goddamn passer. Um, Again, it's hard to know. Riley doesn't seem that tight. We'll see. And the other seventh round pick the Giants took was uh, Gavarius Owens. Gavarius. How do you like that name? Um, out of Houston. And, you know, a safety. The Giants really need depth at safety. And in the secondary in general, they just need pretty much as many picks as they can, as well as linebacker. Again, the Giants need everything on defense. Um and we'll see. It seems like a nice, safe pick late in the draft. And we'll see if this person, Gavarius Owens, ends up playing safety at all uh, or just on special teams like late round draft picks tend to do. Um, we'll see if he can maybe contribute right away. Who knows? Um, I don't mind that pick at all. I think it's pretty good. Um, as for overall, if you take an assessment of the entire um, Giants draft, I'm pretty happy with the picks. I wish we got a few linebackers. I really do. I would have liked a tall wide receiver. One who can sort of out jump and out duel some defensive backs, but you can't get everything. You know, especially, you know, when you win some during a regular season and end up with the 25th overall draft pick, unlike the last couple of years where the Giants had so many high draft picks, but unfortunately, Gettleman, that dog shit general manager who couldn't draft worth his life. So this year, and we have a good GM and we draft late, but I'm pretty happy overall. Now, it's always a crapshoot, as I mentioned a minute ago, trying to grade picks before they even play. So you're going to see a lot of stuff written. This this is the draft grade on this team, on that team, on this team. You know, great. You know, uh, the more interesting grades actually come out a year or two later when you get to look back on previous year's drafts and see how they actually played, right? Now, for the most part, if I had to give some kind of letter grade, I'd say I give uh, Joe Shane maybe a B plus or something. And we'll have to see if the team can continue to compete in what has become sort of a brutal, brutal NFC East division. So good luck to the Giants going forward. Again, thanks for all, all your listeners and any new listeners. That's all I have for you today on Jersey Guy Sports. I want to thank you 
for listening to Jersey Guy Sports. Please subscribe to the podcast if you can. Please like it if you can. Tell your friends about it. I will be back soon with some more sports talk. Thanks, guys. Have a good day.